Hey everybody, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. <laughs> You're here, but shh, so is the government. They could be listening, you don't know. They probably are listening. You know they've been doing secret human experiments for decades. <laughs> now they're not so secret. <laughs> now they're just doing them. I just, I just the let open. the cat out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. MK Scuba has been uh, has been thwarted. MK TGDP is underway. <laughs> you will like the Great Dive podcast. You will listen to the Great Dive podcast. You will you will share share the Great Dive podcast <laughs> with your dive buddy. The Great Dive podcast is the only thing you'll listen to. You will give a rating and review on iTunes to. Great Dive Podcast. When your phone rings three times. Five stars or one star. None of that three star shit. (laughs) When the phone rings three times, you will go out and destroy another Dive Podcast. All in the name of the Great Dive Podcast. This sounds like some MK Ultra stuff to me. MK Scuba. MK Scuba. <laughs> know thyself. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Is he going to have me assassinate someone? <laughs> Know yourself. Know yourself, yo. Yeah, the ability to consciously over override the unconscious urge. Okay, welcome to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with Mind Dr. Control James Jamesy. Mott. <laughs> Dr. James Mind Control Mott. And his uh, loyal patient who's been mind controlled for how many years now? <laughs> I have no will uh, right. of my own, we're Brando. Here with, uh, <laughs> we're here with uh, Project Bluebird Brando. <laughs> and we are here to give you guys a little bit of uh, sensory deprivation today. Some hypnosis. Some LSD. Your eyes are getting sleepy. Are we going to get some drugs to Your go with eyes. this? <laughs> some electroshock therapy. Some psychoactive drugs. A couple of blotters of acid, man. <laughs> And we are going to send you on some top-secret, scuba-oriented CIA missions of government involvement, ultra-secret, top-secret, fortress, (laughs) biological warfare diving. What about UFOs? Are UFOs involved? Man, you never tell them about the (laughs) UFOs until the end of the podcast. Uh how, how are we going to do the cliffhanger? You tell them about the UFOs right at the beginning. True. True fact. No, people, you may have heard of government projects, covert operations like MKUltra in the past, but we have a different type of mind control to talk to you about today. That's the mind control that you need for better diving. They have mind control for better diving? I would have taken yeah. that a while ago. Jerry Garcia used to do LSD. <laughs> He'd drop acid and go dive the Cayman Islands back in the day. Well, there you go. Rumor has it. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, Seeing as this is a conspiracy show today, we can talk about stuff that may or may not be totally proven factual. Well, I don't know about that. Even when they're proven factual, they, they tend to get swept under the rug. MK Ultra was admitted and is proven factual. Let's not well, forget that. yeah, but but w- when you look at the documents, it's like the <laughs> big black line <laughs> and, for like two lines. And you call and like, the conspiracy submarine. theorists <laughs> yeah, yeah. Signed. <laughs> what am I supposed to make of this? Wait well, a the minute. whole idea the, is you make nothing it, of it. Yeah, something. <laughs> the document 
a was. Uh, yes, we did it. They admitted it. We did it, but we won't do it anymore. We were naughty, but we've seen our, the error of our ways. So, so all you people that we experimented on, we're sorry. Here's nine hundred dollars each. <laughs> like, but I well, I, I can't even go go to bed at night. It's not our problem. Interestingly enough, you you, you know, um, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times about how, you know, back in the seventies, eighties, fifties diving sport diving in particular blossoming and uh you know we have mentioned that we felt that the industry took it in a way that was the model that we have for most diving today that money model that money program dip dunk here's a card dip dunk here's a card classes and then the technical world kind of was the you know, redheaded stepchild for so many years in the industry. And what we're looking at today in 2022 is a lot of that sport industry is adopting so much of what has evolved in the technical realm of the game. Do we think in 2050 we're going to find some MK scuba documents that, that are like these, uh, you know, <laughs> penned by the hand of, you know, Bob Clark and uh, John Cronin, you know, hand typed on some shitty typewriter missing the letter F, you know, with like big black <laughs> marker, you know, uh, hiding some of the some of the lines. Redacting. Because, you know, because uh, what we've said in the past was that so much of scuba is built around that, you know, bubblegum world of Hey, come scuba diving. Hey, it's pretty. Hey, it's fishies. Nothing bad can happen. Nothing Whereas bad the, can the happen. the technical world, the technical yeah. world, which was going through like some difficult times in those you know late '80s, early '90s, because guys were trying to do some stuff, very demanding dives, and there was no training regiment really even built yet, right? Right. So it right. got a bad rap. But now, you know, thirty years later. What has evolved in the in the technical world has become the establishment for, like, re, for what real dive planning is, you know, so that you can get in the water and really know that you're squared away, versus just some silly acronym that you know still has you relying on the dive master taking care of you. Right, some silly acronym. Is there really? They aren't that silly. Flipper. Come on. <laughs> Flipper. <laughs> Fins, <laughs> logbook, inflator, <laughs> P-Val. <laughs> I never di- I never dive without going through flipper. <laughs> okay, you're right. They they do have some stupid inane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might impress your non-diving friends with tales of underwater risk and peril. But as most divers know, and the facts prove, recreational scuba diving is a very safe sport. The statistical chances of the average diver being injured underwater are extremely low. And there has been a steady annual decrease in the per capita number of dive accidents from the 1960s to the 1990s. Nevertheless, accidents can and do happen. This is from the pen of the late, great Tom Mount. That's going to be a doozy then. Old Tom. Written. Go ahead. Written in one of the industry's top magazines back in the mid-90s. Sport Diver Magazine. The ultimate underwater experience. The ultra underwater experience. The MK Ultra (laughs) underwater experience. He said the best way to make sure you never join the small percentage that become a statistic is to maintain your diving skills in top working order. What many divers forget, however, is that the most important piece of dive gear you take underwater isn't a high-performance regulator or a fancy new computer. Oh, really? What is it, Brando? Fins, flippers, flippers and goggles. Exactly. Of course. Of course, it's going to be your mind. Exactly. You know it. I know it. Tom sure as hell knew it. I think we, it's your brain. There's some divers I know that don't know it. 
That's for sure. <laughs> do you do you know any divers or have you ever I'm not going to I'm not going to name names, but do you have you ever seen one that basically like checks out once they submerge? Like Are you talking about Frank again? <laughs> oh, Frank. You oh wait, it. wait. It's uh, MK Scuba. Get out the black marker. <laughs> That will that will never show up. Exactly. Redacted. We'll just call him redacted for right now. <laughs> well, you know, um, I know exactly what you're talking about, though, because I think this is what is the uh, the, the product of a scuba program that I know you grew up with and I grew up with of that bubblegum, Happyville, mm. Scubaville, USA world of it's all you know french angelfish man it's all you know beautiful dives and nothing can go wrong because you you got the beeping flashing computer to keep you safe and yeah people just i mean i can't tell you how many times i've seen people with my own eyeballs and i've listened to other divers come in and tell stories of of being in the water with people that you know just either completely check out into the environment that they're in and then run out of gas because they're so focused on the environment. Or you get the, you know, the, the guy that, you know, completely checks out into the fancy gauge and completely yeah. misses, you know, the the school of, you know, whale sharks you know, <laughs> going by for 30 minutes on the dive. He doesn't see one, one single thing. You know, I mean, I've heard both ends. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they get that uh, super laser focus onto one aspect of the dive and I, i've seen p- divers that are, are staring at a computer with yeah. so much information on it but can't discern that information into like formulating what what it should mean to do what, what does it mean <laughs> what, is, what is my what is my next step uh, uh you need to go up what do you <laughs> absolutely you know it's crazy it's crazy but you know that i mean that's the discussion we've had you know so many times of the certification model Mm -hmm. has a flaw to it absolutely i uh, I mean it's it it did great for getting people in the water well it's great because it's competent i mean and it's just that's the only part of the greatness with it is because that it's super easy you know what i mean they you've removed any challenge really in the course yeah exactly and then when you look at you know the injuries that do occur Right. There's a huge I mean, the, the big spike, you know, isn't the guys that are going out and doing, you know, the big, crazy dives. It's it's that new diver right at the beginning that doesn't have that base core foundation. Right. And and it's actually not like the brand spanking new. It's after they get about 20 dives and they've lived uh, and they all of a sudden the comfort, you know, they click into that comfort zone. And yeah. Bad things happen. They they've got Silly the uh, that they got the uh, I got this syndrome. Yeah, I got this. <laughs> yeah, popping down. They have no business down at a hundred feet. You know, after twenty dives and cold water and whatnot. But there they are. And again, we we always hearken back to our our uh, human factors lessons, and the whole normalization of deviance pops up its head, which is you know. You screw up, and nothing happens, and now that's the new bar. That's where you, you reside. It's like, hey, it's not that dangerous. Look, I did this a million times. I've been down to 100, you know, 100 plus feet on a steel 72, and what could go wrong? Right, and that, unfortunately, the, what that lacks is it, it doesn't have the time to have built up a mindset in the diver. Yeah. Right? It, it's just, a, you know, a, a reliance on gear, a reliance on technology. And an assumption that they do have it, they, that, that they do, in fact, got it. But well, it nothing takes happened time yet. to, yeah. right, yeah, but to build that proper mental attitude and that, you know, that mindset, I mean, that takes time to develop. Experience is a great teacher. And, I mean, you have to couple the experience with some good training in the first place. You know, somebody who showed you what to look for and the possible issues that you could run into at depth. Tom says a study of injury and fatality reports show that human error, not equipment malfunction, 
is by far the most common cause of underwater accidents. What this tells us is that the best way to increase our underwater safety is to understand the psychological forces that shape our diving behavior and to then develop the attitudes and responses that will allow us to avoid or solve problems underwater. Instead of getting the problem solved underwater and continuing the dive or it's time to end the dive and do a safe ascent, you are taught that that ultimate go-to you have is let everything go and blow to the surface. You know, that positive, buoyant emergency ascent is... Come from the land of the ice and snow. <laughs> exactly. Ah! Yeah, it... That's the catch-all right there, and that's, uh, again, I have to believe. I mean, I'm, I'm not writing the program, so I can't really tell you what's in the minds of the people writing it, but I can say that it sounds to me like a lawyer catch-all. So when there are incidents, you can always fall back on, well, we teach them. You know, they could just blow to the surface, so... Well, right, because in a in a short, quick class of, of getting the people, you know, mm-hmm. in and out of a program, there's not the time, like I was saying earlier, yeah. to teach a proper mindset. And when you see most people that are getting in the water and they go, hey, you got to be back on the boat with 500 BSI, and that means, you know, uh, I'm stretching my tank to, you know, <laughs> 600. You know, exactly. Five, 650, it's time mm-hmm. to go. Well, there's when something does go wrong, there's no time to sit there and solve the problem underwater because you're now when you go, holy cow, <laughs> boom! Now that tank's empty, and you and now you're out of gas. Well, yeah, it's yeah, it's never even taken into consideration. Is my my thought that hey, these things can be solved underwater. As a matter of fact, let's put an emphasis in our classes that solve the problem underwater, and then. Teach them how to solve the problems underwater. You know, actually put them through a little training session of problems occurring at depth, and you fix them at depth and and recalculate the dive. Right. We've taught for years using the idea of law and effect in a class. Yeah. Uh Because whether you like it or not, you know, when, when you get a little, you know, jolted underwater, there's a good likelihood that that fight or flight response is going to kick in. It's nature. And it's nature, exactly. Right. I mean, that that's just the, the, the fact of being alive. And if you haven't trained to calm your breathing down and stay in that parasympathetic mindset to solve problems, all, your default is always going to be get the hell out of here. Right. And that can be deadly underwater. Far more deadly often than... You know, staying in the moment of the problem that you're having, which often is, yeah, yeah, often is is if you've done the right planning and you're with the right teammates and and you dive in a smart, logical way, you have the tools to solve most of those problems right there in front of you. Uh, Absolutely, especially if you're taught a proper gas planning. I mean, ultimately, you should be going to, do I have gas? If I've got gas, I'm good. I can solve the problem, right? Right. Everything else is a temporary inconvenience that can be fixed. With the right team and the right training. Yeah, which is what proper gas management is supposed to be, right? Exactly. You start the dive off with, with not show back up with 500 PSI so you don't run out of air. You start the dive off with an appropriate amount of gas so that you can handle a big unforeseen problem right. at the worst time of the dive. Right. Farthest back, deepest point, longest point of your dive. You should be planning, what if there's a total catastrophic failure and loss of gas of one diver? Which is, does it happen? I think it can happen. It's not an impossibility, but it just doesn't happen that way. There's not a catastrophic loss of gas. But if you plan for that, anything else is easy. Right. It's the, You've you got I mean? way more than you need. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you just... I mean. Correct me if I'm wrong, a, a complete catastrophic loss of gas. Like, I don't know what what you could envision, you know, a tank valve blowing off, right? Right, yeah, yeah. I it's, mean, it's not pretty unlikely. No, I'm with you there. Yeah. Tom says that like other animals, we homo sapiens are susceptible to certain instinctive behavior patterns. 
Just as a herd of deer may grow increasingly nervous and finally flee as a predator approaches, we too are affected by real and perceived threats to our well-being. And as anxiety builds, we too may reach a point where we panic. The inherent fight-or-flight response overcomes our rational thought process. So I just want you to think of uh, old Jerry Garcia who dropped acid and went diving. Can, can <laughs> right. you imagine the perceived? I don't know, unless you've got a pretty uh, stable subconscious coming through those drugs. You're probably going to. Well, you know, in, in, um, in all fairness, you know, in, in full MK Ultra <laughs> reaction mode. He didn't do that. Um, I may have. I may have misquoted. Old Damn you! You you convinced think, even me. I think the quote. I think the quote actually was. He said that scuba diving was the closest thing to doing LSD Ex- that he'd ever done without like doing all LSD. The, the wild, like all the wild <laughs> colors down okay, there in the okay. Caymans at the time. And uh, so, all right. Well, damn it. I I, uh, I cannot fully say that he. Oh, he did. Did or did not. He probably before. did. <laughs> but it is Jerry Garcia, for God's sake. All right. Let's get this podcast trucking. All right. <laughs> let's keep it trucking. Let's keep keep let's on trucking tru- with this podcast. I, I don't think a single listener will even get that reference. Maybe. Maybe. We have a couple of old timers out there. So I think one of the things that really separated the scuba schools right that recreational school versus the the blossoming growing technical school you know in these days of the 90s was what we've been saying that that dealing with problems and problem management underwater and i think everybody's gonna say that they've done problem management because we do out of air drills and you got to learn how to share air in every class and you got to learn how to remove and replace your mask in every class. And you got to do that to get certified. So like people have looked at us like, ah, what are you talking about? Like you're not doing anything that differently for years. But I think what really separated it isn't so much that you're dealing with problems, but more so how you deal with the fact that you have to deal with a problem. You know what I mean? Right. Like like, like reacting to that psychological stressor on a dive and realizing that it can completely change your world right now. So you have to be able to be aware of yourself and know how you react to certain situations. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, Just to be taught like, okay, here's how you do an air share or here's how you clear a mask. That's not enough. Okay. Exactly. And and Tom, I think, was one of the early guys that was doing this, like right. we talked about when we did those episodes about him after he passed. Right. He was one of the early guys that was saying how you learn how to deal with a mask clear is not on your knees on the bottom of the pool. It's finding out in the middle of the dive when everything's happy and wonderful that right now you have to clear a mask. Exactly. Right. And if your response is, shit, I got to go to the surface. I got water in my mask. You're not ready for that level of dive yet. Agreed. Yeah, you that can't even be an option, really. You know, right? The I'm um, going to the surface, and that's that's kind of really the starting point of technical training is you can't go to the surface. Okay. Right, and I think everybody out there, you know, when you're new to scuba, you most people are going to have some sort of a fight or flight response that happens when water shoots in their face unexpectedly. It's natural as a human being who's been breathing through their nose, you know, for their whole entire life to now have to change up their breathing pattern. It's just normal. So, I mean, what separates us from other animals in this world is, is we can take the time to learn to deal with these psychological stressors and how to stay in that zone instead of going for the surface when something goes wrong. Right. Well, it's all a matter of training. Tom says, we may not be able to control all aspects of a dive, but we can learn to recognize and overcome our response to stress. And that can make the difference between an enjoyable underwater experience and an accident. 
The key to controlling stress lies in creating an awareness of its causes and symptoms and in developing the mental discipline required to maintain an attitude of positive competency. Positive competency. That makes the concept of negative competency a reality. It implies there must be negative competency. Do you know anyone with negative competency? Is the blow and go negative competency in a way? Well, and let's really look at this. The blow and go, the training for it from whatever, 20 feet you blow and go, that's your training. You know, and you do it once, maybe twice, maybe three times with a really good instructor. Well, <laughs> let me let me ask you. Let's go out to the training quarry and see how many how many right. instructors are really at 20 feet doing a blow and go mm-hmm. with six students <laughs> over and over and over or are they going to like eight? Right, exactly. Cuz they got to do six of them. And I got yeah. two groups of six. Yeah. They don't want to be Right. So, yeah. Are you really with, with that? Are you really prepped for being in 60 feet of water and needing to blow and go? And not to mention that, I mean, how many times does a blow and go happen? And then right. it it was because they thought they were out of air. Not that they were out of air, but it was a, a psychological response yeah. to CO2 and difficulty breathing. And I'm over, quote unquote, breathing my regulator. Right. Right. <laughs> when you when you look a little bit into the uh, the incidents and the other side of this is, you know, we get a great amount of uh, self-congratulations on the from the industry to themselves and how safe they are. But the reality is most of the incidents that happen go unreported because they happen to live. And, you know, thankfully, nothing's wrong with them. Most of those the incidents, I would say, I don't know, a conservative guess, nine out of ten incidents are go unreported. Would you, right, would you go around there? I mean, I'm. That's just like looking at what I've seen in the I mean, world. I've seen chaos underwater before. Mm-hmm. Most most people do not get back on a dive boat. And start bragging about how they almost died and almost killed everybody around them at the same time. <laughs> they just quietly sit back down and change tanks and pretend it never happened. Exactly. So it doesn't get reported, but you see it. And again, like I say, I've seen the incidents happen 90% more time where they don't get reported. They just happen to live and they zip it up. Versus the one out of those 10 that ends up in a hospital or it has to get reported right right exactly so tom talks about stress and diving and and how so many divers go through that scuba class because they're taking the trip right you know around the caribbean and they want to hit a couple of these places they've heard about on the cruise and do a dive in Cozumel and do a dive in Grand Cayman or they're taking their holiday in Bali and they want to go diving while they're there right and it's it's supposed to be this huge stress relief to you know be in the warm water and I'm weightless and I'm, I can just like you know float around with the fish and that's why I got the really fancy high gadget fins so that my kicks nice and easy there's no no stress even on my leg to even try to swim I got the easy <laughs> I got the computer that tells it it's a stress free life right but the reality is like there, there's so much stuff that can lead to stress that that's really what what he's made a push and you and I have tried for years is it's when just being under the assumption that nothing can go wrong is setting you up for a very stressful situation when something out of the normal does happen when it does go wrong and he gives us a couple of different major stressors that we could hit on a dive the first one being time pressure stress Right, you're always on a dwindling hourglass when you're yeah, underwater, that, right? Be it no decompression limit, be it airtime limits, yeah. right? You, yeah, I mean that's the biggest to me. That's the biggest thing about scuba diving is there's an automatic double whammy as far as the time 
going, right? That you, you are in a very restricted time, and the consequences of going over your time can be fatal. Right. I, and the, the same exact problem that occurs at, you know, a full cylinder is a very different problem yeah. when it occurs at a nearly empty at cylinder. 600. Right? Same it, when you're ready <laughs> to go up, you're like, I'm ready to have my 500 yeah. back on the boat. And the same problem in 20 feet of water is a very different problem a lot of times in 100 feet of water. Right, where you don't have, you know, especially if you're at your 600. <laughs> you, you don't have, yeah, right, you don't you, have that time. clock. Mm-hmm. That clock is running out, right? So something that is a very easy problem to fix when the clock is full is a very different situation and can create a totally different stress when the clock is nearly empty. And what most people end up doing is the exact opposite of what they should when that clock is running mm-hmm. out is because they haven't been trained a mindset of dealing with the stressor. So the reaction to the stressor becomes more of a problem than the actual problem that they're occurring, right? If they could keep their mental calm and respond to the situation properly, they could work their way through it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is uh, one of the biggest differences between tech training and recreational training is it's taught in pretty much all tech to handle the problem underwater. And the reality is it should be taught in all diving, period. The idea that you can bolt, you know, bolt for the surface as an option, it's not a great it's not a great mindset to enter the water with. So you should be able to recognize the problem and solve it and have the adequate gas. Ideally, that's what you're looking to do, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and how many times have you seen people like freak out at depth because they were uh, you know, uh-huh. approaching that beeping no decompression limit, and like they get spooked and panic, and I gotta get out of here and, and go rocketing swimming. up towards yeah. the sur- right and, instead of properly decompressing and getting shallower. Mm-hmm. They just bolt for that happy safe zone that they think is the happy safe zone, which is really letting them just sit in a very bad zone <laughs> because they just destroyed themselves in the well, process. Yeah, when they're trying to swim to the upline. To the boat, you know, on the shipwreck, you're at 100 feet, and then he, then they notice, oh, I'm getting close to my my gas supply limit. So they start bolting at 100 feet for the for the line, and they're just swimming. And swimming. Hurry up! Yeah. Hurry up! We gotta get over there. Moving quick. We only got one minute. One minute left. Yes. <gasps> Hands are right, moving yeah. fast. You know, masks are getting knocked off. It's just it just snowballs too from there. So right, and and then if that is where the the mask gets bumped right. off, look out! It's bad news. Yeah, now I got to go. Right. Now I really have to go. See you later. There's only one way to go. I can't see <sighs> the upline. I'm just going up. You fall Tom back says, on it though, right? You fall back on that. Yeah, what was taught in day one, which is blow and go. Well, be, because and this is it mm-hmm. is when the, your breathing gets shallow like that, you're not thinking you're you're enacting your your brain's sympathetic nervous system that fight or flight right position so yeah you you start reacting and and thinking clearly about the right decision has nothing to do with reacting right exactly those those are two different things reacting is when you're on subconscious takeover and your body just does the only thing it's been trained to do and that's Get up. Right. There's no thought involved. It's all instinctive reaction, which is taught from day one, right? Yeah. That's what we're, that's what we're yapping about, ultimately. Tom says another subtle form of time pressure stress occurs when preparing for a dive. For example, he says, one diver suits up and enters the water while the buddy has an equipment problem. And has to remove gear to make repairs. Son of a bitch. The diver waiting in the water may become stressed, while the diver causing the delay may experience frustration. He may. And even if the... He may experience it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, try, try taking a camera with you everywhere. There's that just... Again, we talked about it last week, but that extra time gearing up. Yeah, and if and if you're not prepared for that, and your buddy's not prepared for that, yeah, right, that can add to a whole huge stress. Like um, imagine like getting in the water like we did, you know, a couple weeks ago, 
where the water's, you know, 39 degrees mm-hmm. Fahrenheit. And uh, we jump in, and then you go, oh, I got a camera issue. And you'd have to get back onto that difficult <laughs> exit. Yeah. Climb up that hill with all your gear. Walk all the way back to the car. Exactly. Right, get all your gear off. Come back down because you can't remember the <laughs> the, the 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 access code to my car. So you got to come. Let's, how do I get into your car again? Where'd you hide the key? Right, and then you know I'm sitting in the water for what, forty minutes. Yeah. Right. So by the time You're you actually cold. get that camera figured out, come all the way back down. I'm already cold. Yeah. And then if we re- we try to muscle through the dive, right, that dive buddy's going to be in no position to be making smart decisions. Right, that's a whole other type of time stress. Yeah, that people don't think about. Well, in in the scenario scenario you just, you know, illustrated, described, that happens all the time. I mean, not with me necessarily, but I've seen it a million times. And when in my early days of diving, I can remember, you know, it was rare. Everybody's all ready to go in our six man group or whatever, and so it's always a a time pressure issue. Yeah, or what about you're at the quarry in August? Yeah, it, right, and it's ninety four <laughs> degrees out, and you're in a right? dry you're there, suit with you're, a you're, snowmobile. You're, getting, suit. you're all getting suited up, right? And then you're ready to get going, and your buddy goes, "Ah, oh, shit! I left my fins at the car." <laughs> Dumb. Uh, right. Yeah. So now you're sitting there and just stewing in the heat, yep. right? And and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait, and then he, you know. Oh, he runs into Sally. I haven't seen Sally in, in 20 years. Yeah. Starts starts flirting with Sally at the back of the truck again. Oh shit, I got to get down. We we're get, you know, he's he's my buddy's down there waiting for me to get in. I got to go. Right now you're the hot. The inside sweating, of his dry suit is just soaking. Soak, soaked. It's and right. You're you're freeze. Like, I mean, that's a whole other one that that pops up. Yeah. Tom mentions the stress of task loading. Right. He says, anytime divers attempt to perform more tasks that they feel comfortable doing, task loading becomes a stressor. So this could begin as early as a checkout dive when a student attempts to maintain buoyancy control while equalizing. The task of manipulating the unfamiliar BC inflator button while simultaneously clearing the ears and maintaining contact with the descent line can be overwhelming at this stage of the diver's development. Agreed. Just the smallest of tasks in a newer diver will tend to uh, suck all the focus in as well, easily. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I'm experiencing it right now, right? I mean, is is me not, you know, being fully comfortable with that camera and trying to remember how to change the ISO on the fly? Is that really any different than a brand new diver making their first descent of of trying to equalize my ears and not go down too fast and not lose sight of the instructor, not lose sight of the line, not uh, you know, like in in a way it's it's two very similar things of of stealing your awareness and stealing your focus. Yeah, because it takes what you normally have, James, when you're diving, especially without your cameras, you have a very broad, multi-focused ability there it's very wide angle what you're looking at but then when you get something new that you need all of your attention at to to operate for example the the camera and and the you know settings and the the buttons on the back of the camera housing you're learning that still it's not second nature you know it's just like driving but brandon the <laughs> i i've been diving for 30 years i hear you man you've been diving longer than I, me. I, I'm I'm an instructor, Brandon. <laughs> but you're also human, and it's a new task. I'm a cave diver, you don't know Brando. Who I am, do you? <laughs> I clearly I'm over the hump of of having mm. task loading stresses. I've but got thousands you? of I've got thousands of dives. All the more reason, right there. You just it just kind of hits home the idea that it doesn't matter how experience you are in diving if you're putting a new task into your uh, agenda for the dive you got to plan for that you got to plan that you're right. going to have your focus stolen yeah exactly and uh even at the most experienced diver level mm-hmm. 
right? To think that you're immune to task loading, awareness stealing issues, that is what the problem is, mm-hmm. right? You always have to know that something, no matter who you are, can take that awareness. Absolutely. Because as soon as something goes wrong and your breathing changes, and this is Tom's next point, is these incorrect breathing patterns are going to result from or are going to result in a whole new stressor. He says most serious stress-related incidents either result from or lead to abnormal breathing patterns. This can become a vicious cycle. Abnormal breathing produces stress that a diver may not even recognize. And the problem is compounded as the body's physiological reaction to stress is a further increase in breathing rate. Exactly. And with that further increase in breathing rate at depth where the gas is denser, usually the faster you breathe, the less carbon dioxide you're getting rid of. So your CO2 is building up and the partial pressure is building up because you're at depth which makes you feel like I got to breathe more, right? Right, right. That hypercapnia gets your body freaking out and you're breathing faster and you're breathing shallower, which is doing the exact opposite of what you need to do right in that moment. Exactly. And this is all back to the breath control. Like if you can keep that breathing rate, and we talk about it a lot, especially I know you're big into the yoga stuff and the breathing and, and I've studied it for a long time, but the ability to control breathing is at the heart of being a really good diver. Oh, absolutely. And it's something that needs to be practiced on a regular basis. Right. I mean, if you think you're just going to get in the water and do a dive and I'm going to control my breathing if I start getting panicky on this dive, dude, <laughs> like by the time it hits you, it's over. I mean, right. this is something that, you know, that I try to do. You know, when I'm at the gym, you know, on some sort of a, you know, cardiovascular machine to be able to elevate that stress of even like Mm -hmm. walking at a faster rate, hitting an incline, running when you're already winded and be able to like not let your heart rate get out of control and your breathing get out of control and be able to calm your mind and calm your breathing while you challenge yourself. I mean, that takes regular practice to be able to just it happen on a dive and you know how to react to your body enough to get into that breathing pattern. Yeah. The ability to consciously over override the unconscious urge to breathe. That's key. So in other words, when you get that unconsciously, you start sucking more gas, breathing more rapidly. If you don't have that, uh, that developed, discipline to consciously override that that's when that cycle starts right you start over breathing the rag co2 builds up you don't think clearly then stupid decisions are made and you're using gas quicker and the snowball starts moving growing i should say rolling rolling down the hill you know he mentions a couple of other stressors too brando that may pop up including the physical threat of an attacking shark. Oh my god. Is a very is a very real source of stress. Well, yeah. Especially if you just watched Jaws. I think you've increased your stress level. You remember back then? Right. How nobody yeah, would go he, in the water? It's crazy. Exactly, exactly. And he says, but the viewing of a relatively harmless shark during a feeding dive need not cause the same reaction. And if we can condition ourselves to realize that the actual threat in this situation is minimal. Yes, it's mind over matter. Again, this is goes right back to the mind control, man. MK Scuba. MK Scuba. <laughs> Redacted. <laughs> Dependency, he says, or what you and I call trust me dives, take place when a diver is persuaded by a buddy to engage in unfamiliar and more difficult forms of diving. In such cases, the less experienced diver may be operating beyond the personal comfort level. Yeah, absolutely. Right, And and then when you've got that stress going, and then all of a sudden something little happens that if you were just doing a 30-foot reef dive, it wouldn't even hit you as something that's a big deal. But now that you're already 
a little on the nervous side because you're deeper than you should be. Mm-hmm. You're wearing equipment that you're not used to. You're in an environment that you don't belong. You don't have the training for. And now something goes wrong. How do you react? Well, when that stress takes over and that response is fight or flight, man, you've just made a bad situation for everyone. Yeah, it's unconscious. And Again, we go back to the discipline, the mental discipline to consciously override the unconscious reaction. Is what yeah, because nobody about. nobody makes the decision in the diet panic. plan. Of, <laughs> I'm going to panic when we so get right. in the wreck, right. and then I, I disorient myself a little bit. I'm going to silt it out and destroy the visibility. And um, yeah, yeah, none of that's in the plan, but it should have been in your training. Tom moves on to this very thing that we're talking about: is recognition and reaction. He says, recognition is the first step in controlling stress, and all divers should be encouraged to enroll in a dive rescue class and participate in other types of training that emphasizes stress recognition and diver control in panic situations. And back in these days, back in the 90s, I mean, the the rescue class was about the only place that you even came close Mm -hmm. for for the mass majority of scuba divers to get anything even remotely related to this i mean uh you know a f- you know full cave training has had it for a long time mm-hmm. technical training has had it you know most of the training that i teach you know it's in like every level of class not just a rescue right. class because it's so important to the dive to every dive absolutely yeah i i mean you can't stress it enough the idea like well to me it's the idea that you can't ever stress out a student underwater kind of lends itself to producing a less than optimal diver. I mean, all because you don't want to uh, <laughs> get them worried that something might happen. I think you, I think it really, really rips off the diver as far as training goes. If you're, you're making the class so easy that they, they will not be stressed out. Dude, I'm with yeah. you. It, it, this is not bird watching. No, no. It's scuba diving. Right. So at least, you know, let's do something realistic. And realistic is not hand me your mask. Realistic is not, you know, you're going to purposely leak leak water into your mask. You know, when it gets kicked, it gets kicked. When it gets kicked off, it gets it's gone. And now you don't know how to react because the only way you've learned is with the instructor asking you to take it off. Exactly. So you need, as a diver, right, to not only be able to understand how to clear water out of your mask and control your buoyancy and donate a regulator in an air share, but at the same time, like, you need to have some training that teaches you how to read yourself and read other divers and notice underwater when people are getting panicky and fidgety and big-eyed and fixated on gauges or like you got to be able to learn to read that stuff and you know a a good rescue class should have a portion of that in it as well that that gets you to learn to open up your awareness to start reading people and reading yourself yeah the talkative diver on the boat all that stuff how to approach people you know just you know, grabbing people and wrestling them and, you know. I've got this. You know. <laughs> I'm going to save you. Just relax. Yes. Right. I mean, I, how many times have you taught a rescue class and, you know, you're showing somebody, you know, because one of the things that's in, like, almost every rescue class is dealing with, like, a leg cramp underwater. Oh, yeah. And the rescuing diver <laughs> comes in like Hulk Hogan, just, <laughs> you know, head, headlocks the diver. Like, I'll stretch that for you. Like, double somersault yeah. flips I got him. this. And they're four feet into the silt, <laughs> and it just t- turns into chaos and makes the situation worse. Oh, yeah. How's that cramp? <laughs> Cramp's gone, but... The rest of me, you've tore all my gear off. Yeah, my cramp is gone. So is my regulator. <laughs> so is my mask. Yeah, he he moves on to talking about stress relief, and he says that there are additional skills that a diver can learn and practice to enhance the awareness of and reaction to underwater stressors. And awareness is the first step to a solution. 
It is developed through a process of self and group analysis. Pause before making the plunge and study your own behavior. Know thyself. Know thyself. That's one of Brando's great axioms. <laughs> I'd like to take credit for that, but I, I think it was Socrates. <laughs> I'm just well, standing on the can, shoulders uh, of giants. We can change. We can change it a little bit. Like yours will Brandocrates. be know yourself. Know yourself, yo. Are you tired? Hot? Uncertain about the dive? Do your dive buddies seem to exhibit any similar discomforts? Our egos tend to have us ignore any such problems and just get wet. But often, taking a few extra minutes on the surface to sort things out can make a tremendous difference in your underwater performance. Absolutely. Take a second and and de-escalate everything. Yeah, Yeah, de-escalate. I like that. De-escalate, the word of 2022. Because, you know, we talked about the situation earlier of the diver... On the hot summer day, right. sweating, just wanting to get in the water, and then the buddy has an issue that he has to fix. Yeah. You know, uh, my uh, regulator's free-flowing. I'm going to go swap this out. I forgot my fins at the car. Gate Pressure gauge is leaking, right? There is such a tendency to just, let's just get in the water. Let's just get in the water mm-hmm. and go for it and ride that, that stressor out. Yeah. Which is really is doing the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just to, <laughs> I mean, everything that we're talking about, you see like heading out. It's Great Lakes season opening up here shortly. Uh, heading out on the boat, a lot of the divers on there, especially doing a recreational dive. A lot of the divers have not dived all winter. Probably aren't regular divers anyway. They don't dive regularly. And they're getting ready, and you can just see, you know, you can see them sweating like crazy, and they're nervous. Boats going up and down, and diesel fumes, and all those stressors are contributing to the rushing and hitting the water, rushed, things not checked out properly, and then you take it underwater with you. I mean, and we know that underwater. Right. The whole game is breathing and breath exactly. control. Calm. That's right. And if you don't have already a practice of breath control, breath awareness, breathing practices that you can, you know, train your body and train your mind to what is, you know, the happy zone, like you're you're not going to have any ability to to read yourself, to know when you're out of that happy zone and you need to do something about it. And and that's where so many of these diving situations go bad is the breathing gets out of control. And once that happens, man, it's yeah, you're done generally. It, it's gone at that point. So you need a regular practice of breathing to know what what is correct. And when you sense that things are changing, you need to open up your awareness as to what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the breath control. It's the cornerstone of focus and, well, it's the cornerstone of awareness, I would say. Breath control. You don't have it, you lose your awareness as well. Tom says survival instinct development is an area of training that is overlooked by most divers and instructors. But experience has shown that static skills learned in non-stressing classroom or pool environment do not necessarily teach one to survive in a real situation in open water. Oh, my God. O-M-G. Validation from Tom Mount right there. Know yourself, Know yourself. Research shows. We could have told you that without much of the research. Because it's I common think we've sense. been saying that, yeah, yeah. I mean, and we've been saying it for so many shows that it almost feels like we're repeating ourselves. We but, are. We're preaching. I mean, here Tom was publishing this in, the in 1994. I, actually, I shouldn't even say that. The mainstream industry was publishing this article of Tom's in 1994, and here we're still having the conversation 30 years later of why this needs to be in more classes it needs to be at the basic foundation level which is open water 101 when you start you know it's the pyramid thing your your base is your your fundamentals your essential 
scuba diving skills. That should be one of them. Breath control. I think if you asked any diver in the 20-plus years of experience level, that's what they would say is breath controls right there. It should be right there at the foundation, day one kind of thing. Absolutely. And you just build upon it as you progress through scuba, through your different you know levels or environments or equipment use. You just build on that breath control basis. No doubt about it. And if you're going to be underwater and there's a chance of being out of gas, mm-hmm. you need to be able to understand the the reaction to. And I get it. Like, yeah, it's right there in the standards. We gotta, you know, we're gonna <laughs> re, we're gonna react to, you know, the tank valve gets turned off. You know, while you're sitting on your knees right in front of mm-hmm. the dive buddy, and when you feel the regulator go out of air, you know, Raise signal hands, out of yeah. air and receive the octopus. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But that's not the same as swimming along a reef and going shit. Yeah. And having to swim 20, 30, 50 feet to somebody. There's a big difference. Mm -hmm. And to have never been put in any circumstance like that leaves you at a great disadvantage. Because now you're going to learn on the fly, which is not where you want to learn. We've talked many times about that very thing, right? That law of intensity and effect in an educational program. And Tom says right here, right? He says, by performing this task, students are exposed to the psychological and physical stress of really needing air and of overcoming this stressor to successfully complete the exercise. The mind stores such accomplishments, and in the event of a real-world out-of-air situation, the survival-trained diver is much more likely to react properly and maintain control while swimming for air. Yeah, because it's not their first time. Right, they've done it, they've, exp- they've experienced yeah. it, and they, they've handled it correctly. Or they handled it so bad in a controlled situation that they learned, I'm never doing it that way again. Yeah, but that still leaves a slew of other ways to do it. Whereas if you get trained properly from a good instructor and a good program, you have that. You have a proper way to do it that you've been exposed to, and you've kind of, well, you should have been demonstrating mastery of it. Tom gives a great suggestion for a skill to learn, Uh, which is to look at the second hand of a clock. Okay concentrating on the movement of the hand while not allowing another thought to enter your this mind. sounds like some MK Ultra stuff to me. <laughs> Is he going to have me assassinate someone? <laughs> <laughs> and then when the second hand hits two minutes, you're going to assassinate will a diplomat. Grab the gun from your purse. Walk over. No, but he says you, know, you should be able to do that for two minutes. Yeah. Of... of you know, staring at the, you know, f- focusing your attention, focusing your mind, not letting your eyes drift over to the, you know, the good looking babe that walked by, not letting your awareness get pulled by the bird chirping over in your other ear. You know, uh, somebody dropped their uh, sandwich. Next, right? Can you focus for two minutes and not let anything take your awareness? And then you can learn to build that into your focus underwater of dealing with a situation. But if, if if you try to look at a watch secondhand for two minutes and you make it five seconds before you're <laughs> drawn away, like how do you think you're going to react yeah. underwater when something's going wrong? Well, if your ADD kicks in and you can't control your ADD for two minutes, you got some issues. I mean, diving may not be a great thing for you to undertake. He says the purpose is to train the mind to hold the body in check overriding the instinctive tendency to breathe faster or work less. If one is able to complete such an exercise, even though the mind is screaming to quit, the reward is the development of stronger survival and willpower. You know, I do a little something like this to uh, build my, my conscious overriding my unconscious. So it's, it's a mental discipline exercise where like I'll drink about a pot of coffee and I'll drink a you know equal amount of water and then when I have to pee I'm just going to continue to do my daily routine like for example record a, a podcast with my buddy Jamesy and I'm just going to sit here in pain but I'm going to come across in a disciplined controlled manner 
never, never showing like this guy is in some hell pain. And then exactly. And then <laughs> when uh when we sign logbooks and you say same dive time, same dive channel, you are, your body is gonna take you MK scuba into killing a diplomat. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let's uh, let's finish this up so you it. can uh, relieve yourself here. <laughs> uh, Tom says it's all about personal commitment. We all have our bad days, but by practicing skills and exercises such as the ones mentioned in the article, we can learn to overcome many of the physical and psychological stressors that make our diving less enjoyable or less safe. Responsible divers realize that underwater safety and survival is a personal responsibility. A buddy can provide assistance, but your welfare is ultimately in your own hands. By developing and maintaining underwater awareness, survival skills, and a focused, positive mental attitude, you will not only become a non-dependent diver, you will also enhance your underwater attitude and spend more time enjoying the diving experience. Absolutely. All I can say is absolutely. I mean, uh, to echo those thoughts, I, I think back, you know, as you're reading this, I think back in the 90s, my old buddy, who's a, he's a tech instructor, Tony Jones, uh, Tony went down and took his instructor training with uh, Tom Mount and Larry Green. And he came back like a changed man. And like every word that you're saying, he came back reiterating. So this is, this is stuff Tom taught his tech instructors and uh, was kind of the foundation of me getting into my tech, tech training and my technical diving is the whole mental, uh, mental game of breath control and the survival instinct game, if you want to call it a game, right. that that mode that you go into. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I learned it years ago in martial arts as right. well, and, th- right. and that's where Tom was one of the first people to br- you know bridge that gap of, in a way, diving's like a martial art. It is, you know, and when you're in a fight, if you lose your breath control, you're about to get your ass and kicked. I'm, I think I'm at right? purple belt right now. I'm at a purple belt. <laughs> And it, it's the same thing in, in anything that you do, uh, any sporting event, you know, mount, mountain biking, you know, competitive sports. Once you've lost your breathing control. You're done. Right. You're done. You're done you, you, you've got, you have to stop and take a, you know, take a breath. You know, it's if you're in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you're going to get out and take a rest. Mm-hmm. But if you're on a scuba dive, there, there is no getting out. So you have to keep that breath in check the whole entire time. Right. Any sport, yeah. Watch boxers. I'm always amazed, you know, three three minute rounds and their breath control is beautiful. You know, they're they're working. They're, exactly. And their breath control right. is it, there. Yeah. And you can see, you know, when they when they get hit, uh-huh. right? And then they they get wobbled. Everything's all hunky dory as long as you mm-hmm. you haven't, you know, gotten tagged. Once you get tagged a couple times and then and then you hold your you, breath a second yeah. while you boom the co2 spikes right. and that's where you see these guys just they can't get out of it and that's where they get beat yeah. yeah even getting just getting tired and then you get to the point where that physical urge overrides your mental control your mental discipline you can see it that's when the fight starts to go downhill yeah awesome stuff tom absolutely this is stuff i mean you I think should be an open water 101 to the degree that Tom talks about in this article, not to, to the degree that you see in open water 101 now, which is, yeah, maintain regular breathing. You know, that's, you get that sentence basically, right? which isn't a lot to go by. There's a, there's a long way to go beyond stop, breathe, (laughs) think, act. Thank you. Right. Right. That's the tippity tippity tip of the iceberg. That's just the sentence introducing you to what needs to be done. It, it's not a. It's not. It's not taking care of it. Right. It's not a lesson. So, so Tom was telling us this back in Sport Diver Magazine, the May June issue, nineteen ninety four. It was one of the cover articles: "Mind Control for Better Diving." And um, Brando, I think we should uh, read. Redact a couple of these comments <laughs> in our logbook section exactly. for this MK Scuba mind control experiment that we're doing today. 
When you hear send... the dinner bell chime three times, you will get up from the table, go to your checkbook, and write a large check to old Jamesy. When the waitress with the turquoise <laughs> earrings <laughs> serves you the ham sandwich, you will go to PayPal and make your donation to the Great Dive Podcast. I like it. That's So we're going to come up with a movie maybe called... <laughs> The Custodian, uh, Custodian uh, candidate, like the Manchurian candidate. But yeah, uh, I like it. I like it. Is Cousteau? Will that work? Manchurian. That'll work. Okay. That'll work. That'll, I, I... All right, everybody. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. We will talk to you next week. I've been working on like same bottom time, same Buhlman algorithm, or something stupid like that. No, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, stu- I think stupid like that's a good one. That's stupid. That's a good way to describe it. Same surface interval, same bottom time. There you go, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Blue, blue, blue.